This morning we're continuing our series in the book of Romans, and particularly we're looking at our second section of Romans chapter 1. We remember last week that Paul introduces himself to the Christian believers in Rome and speaks to them of who he is and of what it is for him and them to be Christians together, and he follows that up with this reading from verses 8 to 15 that we read this week. Paul says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles." I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. This is the word of the Lord, and we give thanks to him for it this morning. Over this past week, I happened to catch uh, a little bit of a program called Long Lost Families, Long Lost Families is maybe a program that you're familiar with, uh, where a couple of presenters um, and presumably a whole army of researchers seek to reunite uh, or reconnect families that have many years in the past been broken apart. Children who have been put up for adoption at birth uh, or have been in foster care and so on, seeking to find their parents' siblings seeking to find family members they've only recently become aware of uh, and parents looking for children that have uh, become, uh, become lost over the years. One of the reasons this program is so engaging and it's been running since, I think, 2011 is that we all are interested in human uh, stories, human lives. We want to know the experiences that other people have had. We find that, uh, for some reason, really compelling. But more than that, there is something within us all, I think, that um, that really uh, resonates with the, the theme of family. We all know at some really fundamental level the importance, the significance of family, the great blessing family can be, but also when it goes wrong, the terrible destruction that families uh, can bring to bear on one another. And as we watch this program and as you see families reunited and um, the, the joy and the sadness that all of that brings, we can see our own experience of family. Maybe we've had a wonderful family life and we recognize how truly beneficial that has been to us, how much it's established us as who we are and on the trajectory of our lives. Perhaps we've had a terrible experience of family. And we realize how much we've missed out on that other people have experienced. And yet we are who we are because of that experience. As uh, we rightly understand this, we should see that family is deeply important, not just to us, but to God who made families in the first place. 
He created the family unit that man should marry a woman and should have children and that this is for the nurture and the care of all people so that as the family is strong, so the community is strong. And as the community is strong, so the nation is strong. And so the nation is strong, the world is made strong. At least that's how it's supposed to work. Although we recognize it often doesn't quite work out that way because of the sinfulness of mankind. But God invests a lot in the family because he knows that we need help in this life. And the family unit is the best place to experience that help. It's a place of unending love, of round-the-clock care, of education, of discipline. It's a place where we know at some foundational level we belong and we feel connected. And it's somewhere that we can, at its most significant, teach one another how to worship God and serve Him. How we can know Him more. All of that is bound up in the family unit. Knowing that you have a genuine family, an authentic family that loves you and always works for you and provides you with a chance to make a difference in their lives as well as your own is foundationally important and significant. And as we come to the second section of Romans chapter 1, Paul has introduced himself to a group of people that he almost entirely doesn't know. He knows one or two of them, and at the end of the book of Romans, we find he greets you know, a handful of people that are in the church at Rome, but the vast majority of the people he writes to are complete strangers to him. And yet, there is something that connects Paul to these men and women at a foundational level, that makes them more than just mere acquaintances, people who share a common interest in the life of the church or in the worship of God. There is something more. And Paul makes it clear here, without saying that his biological family don't matter, he never says that. But these men and women are his authentic family that transcends every other relationship that he has with other human beings. And we find in this opening half of chapter 1 of the book of Romans, where Paul begins his entire letter, everything else that's to come flows from these verses. We find that Paul makes clear that authentic family is something to be thankful to God about. And authentic family are thankful for one another, regardless of what they're like or where they come from. And in verse 8, we find Paul says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Paul is thankful for them because he has heard whatever else he knows about the church in Rome, that their faith is utterly foundational to their life together. Their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. In fact, he's heard that their faith is famous throughout the Roman world at that time. All over the place, people speak of what the Roman church is like, and it's amazing to him. And this tells him one thing, they're his kind of people. 
whatever else they may be like, whatever their gatherings are like, however they tell other people about their faith, whatever else he knows, Paul understands that they're just like him because their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord is the foundation to their life as individuals, but also together. It's just what Paul's like. They're willing to put up with being labeled as Christians. And uh, as we find out from the pages of the New Testament, being identified as a Christian was often not a good thing. They were persecuted in large part by the Jews who believed that they were a dangerous cult who were seeking to lead other Jews astray from the faith of the Old Covenant. They were viewed with real suspicion in the early years by the Romans who couldn't understand a group of people who believe there is only one God and that no other gods exist. A group of people who we'll find as time rolls on are unwilling to say that Caesar is Lord and worship him as as a god, but also as the one who holds their complete undivided um, uh, allegiance. Christians are not able to do that because Jesus is Lord and he alone holds their undivided uh, obedience. And so we find that the Christians in Rome are willing to live in a pagan world utterly committed to Christ Jesus all together, regardless of what it costs them. And this is exactly what Paul thinks the Christian life ought to be like. They are one and the same for all that they are separated by hundreds of miles, for all they're separated by culture and background and education and wealth and whatever else it might be. They're the, they're the same. They are one family. And Paul loves this group of people for all that he hasn't even met them. He's so happy to hear about their faith. And when we pause and think for a moment about the church in this time, that's amazing. The church is in its early years. It's still in its infancy. It's just beginning to, to grow and to, um, to spread across the Roman world. And there is great, um, great potential for mistrust and division. There would be a real worry that because Paul didn't plant this church, doesn't know this church, didn't, um, as a result of his ministry, see these men and women become Christians, might worry that they don't know what they're doing, that they don't understand what to believe, that maybe they haven't got everything absolutely correct, and so they're not to be trusted because they might be dangerously leading other people in the wrong direction. But there's no hint of that in Paul's opening to this letter. He's just amazed that God would save men and women just like him, but in Rome, the very center of the pagan world at that time. He can't believe how good God is, and so he just overflows with praise and with thanksgiving to God that he is so good to have saved these people. He's so happy that they've become Christians. He doesn't care that they've become Christians through the ministry of someone else and not Paul. He doesn't care that somebody else founded and and planted this church in Rome and it wasn't him. There's not a hint of territorial envy about Paul in any level. He's just amazed at the goodness of God. And so he can't help but giving thanks for this group of people for whom faith isn't secret, 
They live it out with passion every single day and everyone in Rome knows it. He can't believe that this group of people are seeking to live in obedience and make Jesus known throughout Rome and the Roman world just like he is. So he pours out his thanks to God. This is the mark of authentic family, isn't it? It's someone who isn't suspicious of you because you come from a different place or have different views or a different background or you're wealthier or maybe more intelligent or whatever it might be. You're just so thankful that you have this other person in your life. And you thank God for all of their gifts and skills and abilities, for the simple fact they're there and for all that they bring to the relationship they have with you. This is what it's like to have children and parents and aunts and uncles and siblings and so on. We're just so thankful for all that sometimes they frustrate us or get in the way or annoy us or let us down. We're just so thankful for who they are, for all that they are, in all of their flaws and in all of their triumphs. And this is what the church is, as Paul lays it out in these opening verses of Romans 1. The church is not some shallow, superficial gathering of people like a club or an organization that are united because of a common love of, I don't know, stamp collecting or train spotting or parachute jumping or cycling or, uh, you know, a shared interest in poetry or philosophy or, or anything like that. This is an authentic family, people who stick by one another, who are so grateful for one another simply because God has chosen to save these people and bind us all together. We would never in a million years have chosen all of the individuals that make up Ladywell Baptist Church, would we? I mean, if, if God had given you the, the responsibility for everyone who gathers Sunday by Sunday in Ladywell Baptist Church, who's a member of our church, would you have chosen all of those people? Of course not. But God did. And he binds us together and we're just so grateful for one another because Jesus has saved us all and we're all struggling and striving to live out that faith in obedience to him because we love him and because we're all doing this together and because God loves each one of us. So we love one another and we give thanks to God for each other. It doesn't matter where we come from. It doesn't matter how much we know, how intellectual we are, or how emotionally connected to other people we are, or how wealthy we are, or what our background is, whether we've been to university, or whether we went straight from school into work and have never done anything else. That is not the foundation of our relationship. God's grace and his mercy in Christ Jesus is. And so we are bound together by something far greater than any individual one of us. We find that we can love one another as Paul loves this church that he doesn't even know. And this should give us two things. This should make us incredibly confident. We belong to a group of people who will never leave us or forsake us, never give up on us, who will always be thankful for us before God simply because God has saved us and placed us in this church where we belong. And secondly, it should give us a starting point for our life together. Whatever our history as a church, as individuals, but as a church together, God has saved us and put us in this fellowship for a reason, with these people that we're with, Sunday by Sunday, although not quite as the way we would wish to be at this time. 
God loves all these people, just like he loves you. He wants their best, just as he wants your best. And so we give thanks for our brothers and sisters, all of them. And in this way, our relationship with one another is kept tight. We support one another and care for one another and love one another, but it's also kept in right perspective, heading in the right direction because God has been good to us all. And we're all struggling along that same way that he has set our feet on. And so we can be confident in one another's company, that we really do love one another and have one another's best at heart but also that we are all laboring together for the same goal, the glorifying of God's name and the proclamation of that name in this world. We find that authentic family are thankful for one another because they exist. We find that authentic family constantly seeks to bless one another. In verses 9 through 12, Paul tells his family that he is uh, concerned for them, that he constantly is praying on their behalf for their blessing. He called God to be his witness. That is, he wants them to know how serious he is in what he's going to say. This isn't something frivolous that he doesn't really mean. He wants them to know genuinely, even though he's never been to Rome and he's never seen this gathering of believers, this church, he prays for them constantly, all the time. This is the Apostle Paul. He's a busy guy. He's traveling all over the known world at the time, planting churches, establishing congregations, teaching people, building them up, rebuking people. He's constantly on the move. And yet he prays for this group of people he's never been to before. He's never seen because he earnestly desires that they would grow. This is what he means when he says that he serves God in his spirit. He serves God in a way that only God can see. The believers in Rome can't see what Paul's doing for them because his prayer life is not something that is physical. It's not something that is visible to them. He does it in secret, in his spirit. But God, as his witness, testifies to the fact that he prays always for this church and prays this, that God might bring Paul to Rome. Now, there is nothing here of a selfish request because Paul just wants to go to Rome on some kind of sightseeing tour, or that he wants to go to the Roman church that just could never survive without his uh, inestimable skill and ability. The church has begun and has flourished without Paul's ministry. He believes that he genuinely has some good that he can perform for them if God would take them into his midst. He genuinely wants the church to be stronger and to grow and to be better. And he thinks that he is equipped to help the church. And one thing more than anything else, to live obedient to their faith. That is to be obedient to Christ as individuals together, but also as they express that faith, as they witness to that faith in Rome and beyond, as they witness to the gospel that they have been called and set apart to witness to in Rome, just like Paul has. Paul's an apostle. He's been called to go to the Gentile peoples, and the center of the Gentile world is Rome. So it's natural that Paul would want to go there, but he's not interested in being some kind of lone ranger who's going to ride in and solve the problem uh, of the Roman church. 
that they just couldn't overcome without him. He sees a local church there already. He knows that they're doing the same work that he's doing. They're the same kind of people uh, that he is. And so he automatically begins praying for them that they would do well and that he might bless them so that they can all together be stronger in their mission. That's what he says. I want to come and, and impart to you some spiritual gift so that you might be blessed, not just you, but I might be blessed by you as well. In turn, we all might be built up together, that they all might be stronger in their mission. And this is amazing because someone with the fame and the clout of Paul in the ancient church doesn't think so highly of himself that he can come and just fix all of their problems or or do a proper job that they couldn't do without him. Nor does he think that he can turn up and just start a whole new church that will do it right because he didn't found this church and they're not going to know what they're doing, but he'll fix it with a, a you know, second Baptist church in Rome or whatever we, um, he, he might establish in that place. He is constantly praying for this group of faithful people because he desperately wants the mission of God accomplished in Rome regardless of who's doing it. He just wants it done. He wants God glorified. He wants the gospel to be spread, the kingdom of God to grow. And this group of believers, because they're true believers, are going to want exactly the same thing that I want, however they do it. And so he prays for them. And he thinks that if his not inconsiderable skill might add to their mission, then so much the better. This isn't a power grab. This isn't seeking influence and fame in Rome. This isn't making it his church. This is proclaiming the gospel of God to sinful people that God's kingdom might grow and God's name will be glorified as a result. This is the nature of authentic family. Every family member wants every other family member to do well, to grow, to develop, because when they do, the whole family is stronger as a result. Those who are older and more mature lend their wisdom and their knowledge to the younger generation to lead and guide and shape them so that the younger generation can go further and do more than the previous one. So the whole family moves on and develops. The younger generation seek to um, impart their zeal and their vigor and their desire to get up and get going with the, the, the situation in front of them to the older generation so the whole family keeps moving forwards. So that the mission is accomplished. So that they're bound closer together and glorify God more. There's a desire quite often amongst people to make the church mine, to have it my way because I do it right and no one else really gets how it ought to be done except for me. But the authentic family know it's going to take longer. It will be a slower journey taking everyone along, each one building each other one up. But in the end, the whole church is stronger as a result. I knew a, a church uh, a number of years ago where in its history, 20, 30 years before, this church was at a pretty low ebb uh, at, at the time that I knew it. But 20 or 30 years before, they'd had this really huge character of a pastor, someone who was a great preacher, a good evangelist, and, and was a really big personality, just 
found leadership easy. People wanted to follow in, in his way, and, and he attracted a lot of people to the church. The church really grew during his ministry. But when his ministry at that church came to a natural conclusion and, and he moved on somewhere else, all the people that came in his ministry evaporated away. They hadn't come for the sake of, of the mission of God in that church. They'd come because they believed in, in the pastor, not in the savior that the pastor was, was seeking to proclaim. And so the church then declined and declined and declined over time. And this wasn't the Apostle Paul's approach. The Apostle Paul is about the church growing together, not making much of himself, but building the church together so that whether Paul is there or whether he's not there, the church will be strong from one generation to the next to the next. So its mission will always roll on regardless of who makes up the body of that church. And this is what our family is all about. This is authentic family. It's about the family growing and being um, strong together rather than any one individual being the head, being at the top of the pile, having all of the attention, the control, the power. So as we think about our authentic family here in Ladywell, are we thankful for our family? And who can we encourage? Who can we build up? Who can we draw alongside and read Scripture together? Who can we pray together with? Who can we help grow and mature? Who can we, who, who can we hold to account in love so that we begin to weed out or chip off those things that we struggle with over the course of our lives so that we all grow stronger and more mature together? Who can we come alongside and show how we witness to other people? Because we maybe don't find witnessing a struggle, and they maybe really do. It's maybe a real struggle for them. How can we encourage others to see what we do, see how we engage other people with the good news of the gospel? so that they might grow, and that as a whole congregation, we grow in our mission together. Striving forwards together, strengthening one another for the mission of God is what we're all about as an authentic family. And lastly, authentic family strives to see the fruit of faith in one another, as Paul says in verses 13 to 15 when he comes towards the end of his introduction and begins to embark fully upon uh, more of the theology of what he's going to unpack in the first half, uh, or so a little over a half of this letter, Paul tells his readers he doesn't just give thanks for them. He doesn't just want to be with them so uh, that he can build them up. He yearns to see them blessed with the fruit of faith. He tells them that he has long sought to come to them, but he hasn't been able to. There are circumstances out with his control that have always kept him away. And we see here his obedience to God. It hasn't been the right time. And he's been willing to be patient so that the will of God will be worked out in the fullness of time. And he will one day come and be with the believers in Rome. He's longed to be with them that he might see fruit or reap a harvest as the ESV translates it among the church and among the people of Rome. Now, what does that mean? Because if it's among the people of Rome, we can understand Paul saying, I want to go and see people become Christians. And that would make sense. But amongst the believers in Rome, they're already Christians. So what does that mean? 
If it means that the believers in Rome will become stronger, then how does that work with the non-Christians in Rome? It doesn't seem to make sense. But what Paul is saying is that he longs to come to them to strengthen the church by building up their already considerable faith. He's already mentioned in the preceding verses that their faith is strong, that they're living it out well. They're famed for the fact that they live out uh, their faith for all to see. And he wants to strengthen them and be strengthened by them in verses 11 and 12. So he already testifies to the fact that they're beginning to see the fruit of faith being worked out. But here he's saying he wants to build them up so they continue to grow living out their faith in obedience to Christ. Just because their faith is strong today and well-known in Rome today doesn't mean that they've reached the goal and so they can just stop and stay where they are and it'll be fine forever. The world keeps turning. Everything keeps changing. Family keeps changing. Believers in the church over time will move away or will die and other new members will come in. And so there is a constant need for the strengthening of the church, for the equipping of God's family, so that they will always be obedient in their faith. It never stops. They will constantly encounter new circumstances as they as individuals grow and mature. We all experience this, don't we? You today face different circumstances in your own life and walk with the Lord than you did five years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago. You need to be more mature now because you're facing different situations in life with your own family and friends and in your work or in retirement or whatever it may happen to be in church life. And so you need to know more now than you did before. You need to know more now than you did before in order to keep maturing because you will constantly be changing. The church will constantly have to change and adapt to the times in which we live. Who would ever have thought we would live through a year-long, basically a year-long lockdown where we can't be together? We've had to grow a lot in the last year. We've had to be obedient in our faith. What do we hold to at its core so that we can keep doing that and yet not maybe meet together physically, not physically share communion together in the same building. We've had to mature and use our wisdom and understanding to grow in our faith together, to keep building each other up, caring for one another, serving one another, and witnessing to our faith in a world where we can't physically be with other people. That's been tough, hasn't it? But we've done it because we have continued to be strengthened in our faith. We have experienced the fruit of obedience. And as we think about the wider Roman world that Paul brings in here, we're reminded that part of the strengthening of the church is so that they are able to engage with the culture of their day in sharing the gospel. That's always a challenge, isn't it? The culture constantly changed. The way that we share the gospel today will not be the same as the way we shared it 20 years ago. The gospel is the same, but the method of communication, the way that we speak with people and engage with people is different. And again, you know, a church that I've known in, in previous years was a great example of this where Big events were seen to be the, the means by which we'll see people saved and, and the church revived. Because in its history, the church grew during um, 
big crusade events like Billy Graham and, and uh, Louis Palau and all these other people. And, and they brought a great number of people into the church. And that's how it was done in the um, 50s and the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and into the 90s. And so in the, um, in the 2000s and on into the last decade, that must be how it's done. So we'll just keep putting on big events and that's how the church will grow and sinners will be saved. But the problem was they were living in the 90s or the 80s or the 70s, or the 50s. And the culture's moved on. People don't engage in the same way with that kind of thing. Football stadium crusades just don't work in that way anymore. Because society's different. And we need to engage with the society today. And that's what Paul, Paul is saying here. I am obligated to the Gentile world. I've been set apart by Jesus to minister to the Gentiles. And that means coming to you and strengthening you and all of us together, going to the Gentile people, the pagans of Rome, and sharing the gospel with them in a way that they're going to understand, in a way that they can engage with. Now, Paul is in no way underplaying the sovereignty of God and salvation. God will save whom he'll save, but the means he uses to save sinners is the church. And there's an expectation that when we go to people and share the gospel, we're not going to heap barriers in their way by, by, by engaging them in a way that they just don't understand what we're talking about or why we're doing this or putting on events that no one's ever going to come to. He expects constantly that they will go to the the Greeks and the barbarians. He means by that the civilized and the uncivilized, to the people who are wise and the people who are foolish. So the people who have much learning and the people who have little learning, the people who are really sharp on the uptake and the people who just don't have a clue. Paul expects through their strengthening, through their obedience of faith, they will engage all of these people with the gospel in Rome and will see great fruit as a result. So he says, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And this for us is authentic family, isn't it? That we're going to journey together to accomplish our mission, our goal, and that means being strong. And that's going to mean sometimes saying well done to each other and building each other up. Sometimes it's going to mean having difficult conversations. No one wants to have a difficult conversation, but sometimes it's the only means of helping the brother or sister in the church who's going through a time where they're living sinfully or perhaps they're just not doing well in their faith. They feel God is absent from them. Sometimes having a hard conversation and saying, here's why. And let's grow beyond, let's move beyond, let's repent and lay that sin aside. Let's focus on what has gone wrong so that we can grow. Sometimes that has to happen. Because what matters is the strength of the church, the obedience of faith, the fruit of faith being worked out, and the mission of God being accomplished so that he's glorified. That's all that matters. And so together in love, we build each other up. And Paul's going to say some uncomfortable things. He's going to challenge the church in Rome. And we don't know if these were issues in the church or if Paul was just recognizing they were issues in the culture generally. But he's willing to have the difficult conversation to say to his brothers and sisters, you can't be doing this. This cannot be the way. Here is the way. So let's repent and go that direction for this is how we accomplish the mission together. And isn't this what's important for all of us? 
because this is what being the family of God means. Authentic family strives to see the fruit of faith come out in one another regardless of the cost because the fruit of faith will see us accomplish the mission of God. Obedience to Christ is what we're about. Authentic family is something that we all crave in this life, isn't it? It goes back to long-lost families. We recognize at a foundational level how important a good family is to the life of men and women, young and old, in this world. In the church, we have an authentic family. People from different backgrounds, different parents, different cultures, different um, levels of education, skills, abilities, wealth, poverty, whatever it might be. And yet, we are all bound together by one common feature. We were sinners. Christ has saved us. And we are all now one people in him, working for his glory. And so the joy of this is knowing that we can go and minister to the people of Ladywell. And it doesn't matter if we live in Ladywell, or if we live in Deans, or Ealyburn, or Muriston, or Bells Quarry, or Blackburn, or Broxburn, or Whitburn, or wherever it might happen to be, that we can all be one family, regardless of what kind of house we live in, of what kind of background we've got, of the sort of personality we have. But as we are united together by Christ to be an authentic family, We thank God for one another because isn't it amazing that he would save someone like me and someone like you? That as an authentic family together, we constantly seek the blessing and the building up of each other regardless of the cost to ourselves. And as authentic family together, we strive to see the fruit of faith, obedience to Christ worked out in each other's lives because that is the core of who we are. God gives us an authentic family for us to belong to. Let's enjoy that. Let's give thanks for it. But let's plow ourselves with heart and soul into the building up of that family that we belong to here in Ladywell for the glory of God and for his mission in this place. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for our church here at Ladywell. Lord God, just as Paul thanks you for uh, the church in Rome, so we thank you for one another. Lord God, you have come alongside us regardless of what country we were born in, what background we have, how long we've been a, a Christian. Lord, you've united us together in this place. And I thank you, Lord, for each and every member of Ladywell Baptist Church that you have come and you have saved them through Christ's atoning sacrifice on the cross. Lord, you have made them part of our family. We are all united together by Christ's blood and set on one mission to glorify your name through testifying to the saving work in our lives that we have experienced and holding that same good news of the gospel out to sinners like us in Ladywell and Livingston and beyond. Heavenly Father, we ask together this morning that our authentic family here in Ladywell would be blessed by one another. Continue to build us all up, Lord, as we minister to each other. As Paul seeks to strengthen the church at Rome, may we strengthen one another in faith, not just caring for each other in practical, physical ways, but in seeking to strengthen one another that we might be more faithful to Christ. Lord God, we pray as well that we would strive constantly 
to see each other more obedient to our faith, to live it out, to sacrifice for it, so that we might be better equipped to worship you and to witness to you in this world. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our authentic family, our true family in Christ here at Ladywell Baptist Church. It's amazing to be part of a loving community like this. And Lord God, we so want others in this community, in this town, to know the love and the fellowship that we share here in this congregation. So Lord God, may your kingdom come. May it grow and may our church flourish and thrive here in Ladywell, all for your glory and for your name's sake. And so we ask it all in Jesus' name, in whose name it may be accomplished. Amen.